Hey, what's up, everybody? Before we get started, I want to tell you about Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, Black, and Indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released abolitionist teaching workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they've been called the future of educational justice by the one and only Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is quetzalec.com. And if you mention that you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com on their Connect With Us page. Disruptive. Uh, I am habitually disruptive. My name is Hidarko Munoz, and I am your 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. My term's about to run up. Um, at the time of this recording, I have two weeks exactly left as the sitting Colorado Teacher of the Year. And uh, I do have an interview coming out with the 2022 Colorado Teacher of the Year, uh, Glenwood Springs Middle School's own Autumn Rivera. Uh, who's dope. I think you're really going to enjoy her and the energy that she brings. Um, And so just looking forward to hearing what you have to say about that conversation. Want to also just shout out our patrons. You know, it's been a real long time since we've been as active as we've wanted to be. Um, This year has been a real bear and there's a lot happening, but we think about y'all all all the time. Um, Thank you to the patrons who have stuck with us in these kind of hard times, I know that financially it's not always easy and sometimes just saving a few dollars here and there um, by getting rid of some bills and some debits can be really helpful, but just really wanna, um, just wanna send some appreciation to all of you. Um, I also want to shout out our social media handles. So if you're interested in following us beyond the podcast, um, you can find me, Gerardo Munoz, at um, at Illosopher on Twitter. You can also go to my website, Gerardo Munoz, one word, dot co. Don't go to dot com. It's a different dude who is not me. And I'm sure he's dope, uh, but he's just not me. And, you know, by all means, if, if you want to find him, that's cool. I mean, he's cool. He's fine. I have nothing against the man, but that's just not me. So that's Gerardo Munoz, dot co. Um, if you want to follow Two Dope Productions, which includes the flagship podcast, Two Dope Teachers and a Mic, along with um, the podcast collab that we do with Asia Lions of Lions Educational Consulting um, called The Exit Interview, and then this one, Habitually Disruptive. You can like and follow us um, at the handle at Two Dope Teachers on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Show ideas, you can email us, Two Dope Teachers, at gmail.com. And if you would like to help us continue to bring this uh, content to you on a regular-ish basis lately, 
um, you can go head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash teachers. And uh, for as little as $5 a month, you can help us cover expenses and make this stuff happen. Well, it has been a long time. I um, want to talk with y'all a little bit about just kind of what I've been up to and where I've been. Um, it's been a real busy uh, few weeks and months. And I know that I kept you all updated on some of the stuff that went down in Washington week with the state teachers of the year from 2020 and 2021. Shout out Hillary Wimmer, um, my friend from Adams um, Five Star Schools. Uh, and uh, you were a really great tag team partner when it came to our meetings with congr congressional folks. Um, I finished up my first quarter as a doctoral student, um, and it, it was just, it was fantastic. And I think I've found a lot of new life when it comes to just my intellectual curiosity. And, you know, the thing is that uh, I'm a little nerdy. Um, I like to know stuff. I like to read about stuff, and the more complex, the better. Um, and I think that these classes that I took, I took a community-based research class and I took an analysis of teaching class that went pretty deep into some theoretical ideas that I just really enjoyed. And so as always, I want to turn those things into practice, but I also just want to sit in the, uh, in the curiosity that my program um, provides. I'm super excited for winter quarter. I'll be taking two classes in winter quarter with two just dope professors from what I understand. And um, of course, I will keep you posted on kind of what's happening. Speaking of what's happening, um, I would be remiss if I did not call out the loss of bell hooks. And when I say the loss of bell hooks, what I actually mean is we um, on Earth have lost bell hooks, but bell hooks has gone and joined the ancestors. And uh, too soon, too soon, uh, passed away at the age of 69 a couple of days ago. It's just been a real tough week. Um, you know, there's been some loss. My school community experienced loss of a colleague. Uh, and then yesterday I got news that uh, that Hub of the Roots also passed on. And so uh, it's a season of, of loss. And um, I think it's important that we that we sit in that. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about how bell hooks came into my life and, um, and sort of how I sort of have benefited from her ideas. Um, and uh, just want to share with you a little bit of that. And then we'll talk, we'll get to our next, uh, to our guest, uh, Luis Antesana, who I think y'all are going to love, but um, so a lot of you may know this. I didn't go to teacher school. Um, I graduated from the University of Colorado at Boulder with a degree in Latin American studies and history. Uh, did a lot of classes in ethnic studies as well. And I didn't actually have any intention of going into education. Um, I had actually considered going directly on for some graduate school work. And I just ended up cho choosing differently. Um, so I started teaching in the 1999-2000 school year. And, um, you know, uh, it was it was a big awakening. Uh, there were some things about teaching that came really naturally to me. And there are some things that were just very foreign to me. Um, I had the opportunity to be in the inaugural class of teacher in residence program at Metro State University, uh, Metro State College at the time, but Metro State University of Denver. 
And um, as I think about this work that I've been doing um, on trying to diversify the teacher pipeline, I've been in community with some amazing folks at the Colorado Department of Education who are having real conversations about how we can ensure that the teacher pipeline uh, looks more like the students that we serve in most communities, particularly in urban communities. Um, you know, so it was trial by fire. It was, uh, it was on the job training. Um, and I didn't have a chance to really get deep into the theory aspects of teaching. And, you know, as I talked to people who had gone through uh, traditional teacher prep programs around the same time, I realized that um, they weren't getting a lot of that really deep stuff either um, because education is constantly changing. But nevertheless, that's a, uh, that's a, a kind of um, insecurity that I carried with me for a lot of years. So enter my good friend, Sean. Uh, who is a um, who is a school leader in in the city of Denver, and um, he had relocated to Denver as a result of Hurricane Katrina in two thousand four two thousand five, and uh, came and worked at my school. And one of the most important things that I learned from Sean was that theory has value, deep pedagogical focus and commitment has value. He once said to me, you know, I think you need to be able to say in a space, I'm a frarian, I'm a constructivist, I'm this, that, or the other thing. And, um, and, and I found that to be really interesting. And his position was that this is what gives you focus as a teacher. This is what gives you an idea of when things are challenging or difficult, that, that of where you need to orient and where you need to, what direction you need to go in and how to make decisions. And so um, I've come to realize that that is um, true in, in my view. I think having a pedagogical focus and priority um, helps make decisions and helps know what to do when things become challenging. I think there's flexibility. Um, in my first stint as a graduate student, um, one of the professors uh, had taught us a bunch of models of curriculum and essentially just said, you know, the thing is that um, every curricular approach um, even if we find it reprehensible or problematic, probably has a place in some situations. And so we can never say that only one approach works in all ways. And at some point, I'll have to tell you the story about how I came to discover that sort of the hard way. Um, but um, Sean came uh, to one of my birthday celebrations. Um, and I'm pretty sure I was still in my 20s, um, you know. Maybe it was my 30th. I don't know. These all run together after a while. Um, and he gave me the copy of his, he gave me a copy of Teaching the Transgress, um, Education is the Practice of Freedom by Bell Hooks. It, everyone has seen this volume. It is a yellow book with uh, the Loteria card, La Escalera, the ladder on it. And, um, and it just has a wonderful feel to it. Like whoever put this book together is like, we want people to want this book. Um, and, uh, and in it, there is also a, um, there is also a bookmark of the, um, of, of a French revolutionary uh, and a Simone de Beauvoir and her, uh, and a quote about revolution and that kind of thing in it. So it was pretty cool. Um, 
Sean likes to flex all the books he's read. Uh, he's a smart dude. He once told me that um, he wants to be the smartest person in the room. And if he isn't, the next time he enters that room, he will be. <laughs> um, but he's a, he's a good dude. He gave me this book. And I'd heard of Bell Hooks before um, in the same way that I'd heard of Audre Lorde. So in ethnic studies and literature classes that I took in college as an undergraduate, these were names that kind of floated around um, different spaces, particularly those spaces that centered um, black and brown uh, thinkers and writers and creators and that kind of thing. But I'd never actually become familiar with the book. So I read the book um, and I'm a really slow reader, so it was a little bit challenging, but there were some just really important pieces that came out for me that I, I think have really altered the way that I approach teaching. Um, the first is uh, how, how, how Bell Hooks adds on to and strengthens Paulo Freire that education ought to be the practice of freedom. And this is really interesting because I think I've had to explain this to people at different times and their understanding of what education is, as a practice of freedom is and should be is really different from what I think Dr. Hooks um, intended. Um, Dr. Hooks didn't necessarily intend a free-for-all without guidelines or expectations. You know, the way I've incorporated the work of teaching the transgress has been to say, you know, we have classrooms full of young people, most of them under the age of 18, who are not free yet. Um, and we can debate what freedom means, but they're not free yet. They can't make a lot of their own decisions. They can't come and go as they please. They, they can't decide to go to school or not to go to school without some sort of penalty. Um, there, there's just very little freedom that they have. And when you extend it out to what does freedom mean in a context defined by adultism, where adult power is often flexed nakedly and uncritically, um, there are real questions about well, what happens when our young people matriculate and they are out to see the world and they're 18 years old and they can make a lot of decisions on their own for better or for worse. And so in teaching to transgress, Hooks does make reference and examines deeply what it means to practice freedom. We practice freedom. People practice freedom by solving authentic issues. People practice freedom by building community and humanizing each other. People practice freedom by raising their voices and being independent, critical thinkers, for a better community and for a better future. And so I've really kind of taken that to heart. And I, I would not ever argue that I've always been successful. I would not even argue that I've been successful a majority of the time, but it's an important reminder to come back to that. What is the work that I am doing with my young people today that will contribute to their freedom where they can practice freedom. And for me, sometimes it's as simple as I don't require students to ask before they go to the restroom. Free people go to the restroom when they need to go to the restroom. And so I have different accountability measures. And so that's a piece that is really important to me that I'm going to trust you as a free person to come back and do what you need to do to get caught up. So especially coming out of a quarantine and hopefully the our first and last time uh, doing remote learning, but especially coming out of a quarantine where students 
were accustomed to kind of do whatever they wanted. They can engage as deeply as they wanted to. They could get up and go to the restroom if they wanted to. They could go get a snack if they wanted to. It was always really interesting how many students would still ask for permission to go when they were on a Google Meet. And, you know, I would always kind of laugh to myself and say, I mean, I'm not going to stop you. Like, I don't have any way of having security show up at your house and make you go back to your desk in your room, you know. Um, and that kind of thing just strikes me as really inauthentic. And so education as, a pra- as the practice of freedom can be really practical in that way. Um, as an everyday practice, it can also be, well, what topic are you going to dedicate your time and energy to researching for this class? Um, are, you ex- are you learning study skills that work for you, not just that the teacher thinks are really good for everybody? And ultimately, are you a person who is willing to take accountability for your actions and your words and your choices. That's the practice of freedom. Um, And those are classes that can be a little messy sometimes, but also uh, the energy is really powerful as students realize that they have more power than anyone has ever told them that they do. The other piece to me that really stuck out, it's early in the book where Dr. Hooks discusses her experiences attending segregated all black schools and how Brown versus Board of Education really transformed things in that way. Um, I was taught probably like a lot of you listening that black people got no access to good education until the Brown versus Board of Education decision overturned Plessy v. Ferguson uh, the the separate but equal um, legislation or court decision, and that and that winning integrated schools was categorically a good thing. And so I'd kind of carried that with me that yeah, the challenges of integration are real hard, and there's still segregation within schools, but at least we don't have segregation anymore, right? Reading teaching to transgress really taught me that that all was not terrible in segregated schools. And in fact, there were some things that were arguably better. Uh, I was talking to my good friend, Jose Vilson, shout out Educolor, follow them everywhere. Follow Jose, the Jose Vilson. Um, And uh, we were just kind of chatting back and forth on an Educolor platform about how Dr. Hooks pointed out that life changed for her when she started attending integrated schools that had almost 100% white teachers in them. Um, And I haven't done the research, but I would imagine very few white teachers were displaced from their positions uh, when schools were integrated. And oftentimes the model for integration wasn't actual integration. Oftentimes it was close the black schools and transport transport black students to uh, historically white schools. And that created a real power issue where the solidarity wasn't there anymore. The welcoming community wasn't there anymore. And I'll never forget how um, how she refers to the energy of teachers, principals, community leaders, business people as being a messianic zeal that every adult educator brought into every class because there was this battle for respect and for freedom that they were all engaged in in solidarity and she said that once she started attending predominantly white schools or integrated schools gone was that messianic zeal that had previously defined her education so i think about a lot and um, i read somewhere 
Um, I don't have the source, unfortunately. If any of you has it, please send it or post it when we tweet about this. Um, I had sent, I, I had read somewhere that the integration of schools actually cost many, many th hundreds of thousands of black teachers their jobs or thousands of black teachers their jobs because their schools were, were shuttered oftentimes or as faculties were consolidated and teachers had to re-interview uh, for their positions, white teachers were categorically hired over black teachers because as research has shown, even as recently as 2010, black teachers are viewed as inferior teachers <clears throat> kind of in general, but even more so the fewer of them there are in a school program. Um, and so, and if there are many black teachers in the school program, that whole school is often viewed from a deficit lens and in a negative way. So those are things that have really stuck with me. And then, um, and so, and then fast forward a few years later, uh, one of my former students, uh, who's now a doctoral student in California, um, as a gift, uh, had a poster made for me with, uh, with Dr. Hooks, Hooks's quote about the, about the academy not being paradise, but how the classroom can be a site for dreaming and a site for uh, liberation thinking and what what probably Dr. Bettina L. Love and so many black and brown women scholars have said is freedom dreaming. And I keep that poster up in my room. Uh, my students didn't always know what it meant, but it's a reminder to me that the classroom is for dreaming. The classroom is for imagining possibilities that we have within ourselves. Uh, my classroom is not for the replication of society. I would like to think that my classroom and my methods, as well as so many of my colleagues at my school, um, it is focused on how we disrupt the status quo. Rest in power, uh, Bell Hooks. Um, you are gone too soon, but your impact will be felt for generations. Um, I know that I would not have been the same teacher if I'd not come across your words. Um, and if, uh, and if I hadn't had the wonderful blessing to meet your prophet, uh, Sean. So today's episode, um, to shift gears a little bit, this is an old one. We did this a while back. And when life took over my life <laughs> and I fell behind on posting episodes, I just didn't get a chance to get this one up. But I've been really excited to get this one up as soon as I can. Um, I want to introduce to you Luis Antesana, and Lu Luis and I um, have crossed paths a couple of different times, but I, I'm really thankful that he and I have developed a stronger friendship over the last uh, few years. Um, Luis first popped onto my radar as a uh, DACA recipient and a former classroom teacher. He was born in Bolivia. Um, in fact, he talks a little bit about Bolivian food on this, and much, much to my joy, because I love food. Um, and he's a former classroom teacher uh, here in Colorado. Uh, we met through our mutual friend, uh, Sarah, at the Colorado Education Association. Uh, shout out CEA. Y'all are real ones, and we love you a ton. Uh, we met through Sarah a few years ago. He visited my classroom um, back, I would say, in 2016, 17, something like that. And eventually, he left teaching to form an organization uh, through Moonshot, 
Ventures called Juntos to College. And Juntos to College, and you can find it J-U-N-T-O-S, the number two, college.com, and I'll link it on the show page. Um, Juntos to College is this amazing organization that matches first-time DACA recipients with a financial backer, their legal team, and their upward mobility team. They also empower counselors and educators by equipping them with the tools and knowledge they need to advance the vision of upward mobility for undocumented students through their virtual professional development workshops. So there's a lot of really great resources that um, Luis and his organization have put together. They have community um, events all the time. I swear I'm going to get to one. I just want to be around him. And Luis is actually just such a dope disruptor because he's also, he's got his organization, which is defined by community, family, and equity. Um, but he's also constantly trying to engage with the community. Um, he and I were in a conversation about how we can ensure that educators of color in the state of Colorado have the support and a community that they need. And that's super fun. Uh, Luis Antesana Alba was born in Bolivia, raised in LA, has called Colorado his home, um, his adopted home since 2015. He received his Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from the Honors College at Cal State University, Los Angeles. His professional career began as an educator in Colorado Springs, teaching high school language arts and AVID. In recent years, Luis has focused on college success for seniors as a Denver Foundation College Career Advisor at Abraham Lincoln High School. With six plus years experience, Luis has worked with hundreds of immigrant students and families to help guide them through the state financial aid, uh, the CASFA, private scholarships, including helping over a dozen students achieve, receive the dream.us scholarship, career exploration, ITIN support, entrepreneurship, and the DACA process. Luis is a global educator and is often sought out to consult with teachers, educators, school leaders, and legal teams to support individual families. For his efforts towards education equity, Luis was recognized with the Teach for America 2018 Colorado Springs Alumnus of the Year Award. Luis is founder of and CEO of Juntos to College, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping undocumented families access upward mobility. In his downtime, Luis enjoys spending time with family, reading books, and dancing cumbias. He also likes video games, so stay tuned for his top five. Um, this is a really wonderful interview, and it just gives me such pleasure to be in community with Luis and to bring you this episode. Um, stay with us. I uh, hope you enjoy this one. We have a few episodes coming up with some pretty dope people. And so we'll be rolling those out in the weeks to come. Um, here we go, Disruptors. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, I'm Gerardo Munoz. I am Habitually Disruptive. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce my friend, Luis Antesana, fellow Disruptor. Luis, welcome to Habitually Disruptive. What's going on, Gerardo and listeners? It's a pleasure and honor to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man, we've been trying to do this for a little bit. Um, we, yeah. we go back a little bit, actually. We've crossed paths a few times yeah. in the past. And um, yeah. first time I heard about you was from some of my friends at the Colorado Education Association who had said, oh, man, there's this dude. Um, I think you were in Springs at the time. Is that right? Yeah, Colorado Springs. Yep, yep. I was teaching down there. This dude, Luis, you gotta you gotta hook up with him at some point. Um, you pass by the classroom at one point and stuff yeah. like that. I think this is a conversation we've been trying to have for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I that was actually um, it's so interesting how how 
the stars aligned because I had no idea you were at that school, right? I, I think I was uh, <laughs> closing in on my third year as a teacher uh, in Colorado Springs, and I was debating whether I should come up to Denver. Right. And the one school that I was visiting was uh, yours, right? DCIS. Yep. And yep. Um, I stepped in, I was walking around, and they were like, you need to go to this 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 man's classroom right here, Mr. Munoz, he is amazing. And then and there we go. And that was that connection. And I remember you were like, you were like, oh, yeah, man, take my card, man. You know, yep. two dope teachers in the mic, check us out. And so, yeah. and, and here we are. <laughs> here we are. Yeah. Here we are. Um, yeah. you, you've made some pretty amazing moves recently, and we'll get to those in just a second. But one of the things I like to do is just learn a little bit of a person's story and share it with the audience a little bit. So let's just start with this. So why don't you think a little bit about the life experiences um, that kind of shape this path that you would eventually take. So this kind of can relate to like background, family, culture, identities that kind of made you the person that you would become. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I, I have a really fond memory of when I was probably like five or six and my younger brother was four or five and um, and so we, so we grew up in this little kind of like, uh, this little state that my grandma helped build. And, um, so we were building the back, we lived in the back house and everybody, like my, uh, all my cousins from my mom's side lived in that little kind of plot of land. It was, so it yeah. was like this, like three, four story building right behind there was a little house, a little, a little yard. And so in each floor was like a different family. Right. And yeah. so we just kind of grew up together and everybody would meet up in the back. Um, and we would just run around in circles, like just kids do. And I, and I remember uh, we, and we were kind of race, right? And I remember me and my brother, we were just like racing, like running around and little, kidding out, like, like big circles, but we were running around. And at the end, um, we would pretend to be uh, like one would be a reporter and one would be the kind of like the winner of the race. Right? Oh, how funny. Yeah. And, and, and then we would try to speak in English, but we didn't know English. Mm-hmm. So we would just speak gibberish. Like That's little so kids funny. do, That's you know, just what we would think we would sound like if we were speaking <laughs> English. Um, and that comes from a, a, an influence of my, 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 my father. He raced motorcycles. And so, oh, okay. um, yeah, we would kind of just watch some of the, um, when we could, we would watch some like interviews, of, like the racers in the U.S. And so that's where that came from. But um, I share that because it was just such a, 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 like a childhood um, kind of feeling right and for me that was like family my cousins yeah. you know all around kind of a little bit a little bit older but gen- generally that same age and just having so much fun and just like imagining right and being yeah. there and so um, I share that because I, I, I would lose that kind of feeling of family for uh, almost two decades um, wow. uh, soon thereafter when my parents uh, kind of decided to migrate to the U.S. Yeah. you know to kind of uh leave a, a you know a, a very kind of a, a really bad economy and an economy where very few folks were kind of making it out right and so yeah so we would come to the u.s and um and and so yeah so uh you know i think for me um an, another feeling of kind of like what what does that mean right like kind of growing up and having that at like you know five six years old coming to the u.s when i was seven and um, and then here, losing all of that, it was just me, my two brothers, and 
yeah. my parents, uh, my, my, uh, we, we followed an aunt and an uncle and my, my cousins. Um, we did, but it was still pretty much us in like a, a warm bedroom apartment growing up yeah. in the city of LA. I was going to uh, say, so you, you, yeah. um, you went to LA and what, well, mm-hmm. yeah. Say more about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was kind of the opposite in terms of the family structure where there was no family structure where my parents were just trying to kind of make ends meet, right. Try to put food on the table. So they were just working all day, all night uh, under the table jobs. Right. Um, yeah. And so, so me and my brothers kind of grew up on our own. I remember, yeah, being seven, eight and, uh, walking me and my brother walking home from elementary school kind of at that you know at those ages and um and and it's not because my parents were terrible parents they were just like hey like we have to work sorry we're not gonna be able to pick you up from school just go straight home like you know from right after school was you know hold your little brother's hand just go home and so it was kind of that uh that setting so um so you know i grew up in northeast uh la holland park and to kind of uh, stay out of uh, stay out of trouble, stay off the streets a little bit, you know, just kind of uh, for me, it was staying, uh, keeping my head in the books, yeah. right, getting getting work done, and and also playing sports, you know, so that uh, after school I wasn't necessarily uh, out in the streets, right? Yeah. I was like doing something organized. What for sports me, did it you was, play? I played football and I played tennis. Uh, right. I played football all years in high school and then tennis just my senior year. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and so, yeah, so, so that, that, so I was constantly busy, constantly tired, right. Yeah. Like just being a student athlete. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I just kind of kept my head down and, um, and, and just did my thing, you know, and then it kind of made sense too. my parents were, were kind of, uh, even though they didn't want me to play football, cause it's such a, a violent sport. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's so violent, but, um, but for, for them, it was like, okay, while we're working, he's doing something, yeah. right? He's doing something that's like meaningful. He likes it. It's in, it, it's in school. It's part of the, you know, the whole, that system. Yeah. So like, let's let him do it. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, you know, um, so it wasn't, so yeah, so that happened. And, and because of it, um, I didn't, for me, it was uh, my senior year in high school that I realized that I wasn't documented. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've been kind of trying to survive that whole time that for me, it was, um, you know, it's uh, when the parents aren't there and there's just like gang violence around the community and, you know, in middle school, high school, you know, you have friends kind of dropping because of that. And you're like, yeah. I will, you know, like, let me just keep my head down and do what I can to survive. And so, yeah. um I, I just, for me, just, it, it never hit, you know, there was like a definitely your, your legal status, like your undocumented yeah. status didn't hit. Had you not known before, like at all? No, but uh, so, so I, I had a feeling though, like I definitely didn't talk about it yeah, um, or think about it. You know, I, I think so I definitely had friends who were like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna get my, uh, my, you know, my driver's permits. Uh, we're 16 mm-hmm. now. We, I, I'm going to see if I can work. But for me, I was like, well, I have sports <laughs> and yeah. I'm so committed to this. You know, if I want to be good, I want to put in the hours. I don't want I don't have time to work. I have right. school, I have homework. 
And so for me, it was just easy to be like, yeah, I'm not going to ask about those questions at this yeah, time. Yeah, but you kind of, it was in the uh, back of your mind. Dude. But it was a little bit, yeah. And so, but then it came up, of course, right, during that college conversation, financial aid. And, yeah. um, and so I, I still remember my college counselor, Ms. Olivia, came into our civics classroom and was like, everybody can go to college and everybody can afford it. Yeah. And then when I came back and told her, was like, I actually don't have a social security number. She was like, oh, crap. Not everybody can go to college. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, but she definitely did whatever, everything she could to just provide avenues for me. And so, yeah. and LA was a special place at that time where uh, yeah, I was definitely very, very fortunate. Uh, kind of right place, right time um that uh you know um there was a scholarship just for undocumented students to go to cal state uh, la and so for me that's that was the the you know um, what allowed me to go to college and yeah uh and, and kind of you know be on this full ride scholarship and all of a sudden gain access to these uh you know this institution that uh, just very few of my friends and, and family members had ever experienced yeah. Uh, well, I was the first one uh, going on there, so it was an entire new experience. But yeah, no um, but yeah, that's a little bit about kind of the you know the the, the my roots in that sense. Um, I, I will have to add that you know being on documents for me absolutely ingrained and embedded. Uh, I think forever the this passion for social justice, though, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because uh, you know when when it hit that I was. Uh, at that time, I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to go to college and I'm going to be able to afford it. My parents, despite working yeah. hours and hours, they just, they're still not going to uh, help me kind of go through that process. So, um, you know, for me, it was, uh, it, it was just one of those, uh, those moments that like history just wasn't in the textbooks. <laughs> it didn't happen a yeah. hundred years ago, 50 years ago, that it was yeah. that, that historical oppression is still happening to this day, right? Yeah. Racism is still happening to this. It's just so many, so many uh, issues. And so, um, and, and, and at this particular point, it was happening to me. So for me, yeah. that changed my entire mindset trajectory uh, about what I wanted to do, be with my life. And for me, I, 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 you know, I went through a very dark phase. And so going through that dark phase for me, um, uh, made me realize that I don't want other people feeling that same way, right? That I, I, I kind of wanted to just help in any way that I could so right. that folks could never feel the way that I did um, yeah. and instead just be able to to achieve whatever they want to achieve for their lives. And so um, yeah. that's really what, what kind of changed. And so it was those kind of pillars, you know, and uh, um, I'm going to fast forward a little bit, but okay. um, I say that I lost, you know, um, it was like, I was like four, right? Uh, five, six, when I, when I was surrounded by family, by so much love and then yeah. lost that for a couple of decades. Um, Man. But I, you know, it was, it was in 2017 when I finally got the chance to go back to Bolivia through advanced parole. Okay. And when I went through, back, I regained. Through what? What did you say you went back through? Advanced parole. AP. Oh, okay. Are you familiar with that? I'm not actually. Can I share? I'll yeah. share a little bit because most folks aren't, but advanced parole kind of weird because it has that that word parole in it but yeah it's essentially uh <laughs> i'm like what did uh, you do uh, no <laughs> yeah no exactly right um nothing but it kind of does exists. i mean it's, it speaks to the, <laughs> the the way in which um, 
migrants are criminalized and and, mm -hmm. and it's like considered a criminal activity so it doesn't surprise me i don't even know about it but they so tell me about it <laughs> yeah yeah no so advanced parole is an application that allows daca recipients like myself to be able to go to another country and and there are three reasons you can go one is humanitarian uh for yeah. example you have like a, an ill grandparent and so you got to go yeah. see them and then the second and third are much less common, but um, it, it would be education, right? like studying abroad okay. and business, right? doing business on behalf of a company or, or, or okay. your own business. Yeah. And so I went on, on humanitarian purposes. Um, yeah. And when I went back, I, I reconnected with all my cousins that I grew wow. up with. And that's when I, I regained <laughs> um, uh, that feeling of family, yeah. that feeling of love, you know? And you and hadn't so, seen them at all since you left. Is that kind of what you're Exactly. Saying? Since I was seven. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so I hadn't seen them And before. seven, I you know, it's so interesting crazy. because at that age, you know, um, you hear about folks who were brought here as babies or maybe there were two or three and not a whole lot of mm -hmm. memories. But I remember being seven years old. I remember everything about that age. And so you probably yeah. did actually have a lot of memories and probably a lot of a lot of confusion when you were little as to so what happened <laughs> right exactly yeah because you go from like having this big wholesome family you know and we yeah. didn't it's not like we, we weren't like so rich or wealthy but we had each no. other right and so that, yeah, that family love was, yep. was always there and then and then from the next year having none of that you yeah. know, and just kind of growing up in this street, in this, uh, like, community where it seems like it's kind of like a war out there, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just, like, to, to go, to grow up in that is, right. obviously, it's traumatizing and stuff, but, yeah, um, no. but it's... Had you, um, had you yeah. kept up with kind of what was happening? Cause you, and I don't know if you said this, but mm -hmm. you came from Bolivia, right? And, yeah. um, and I think... Did, did, had you kept up with some of the things that were, so I was a Latin American studies major and I know yeah. like, you know, some of the corruption that was happening in the nineties, mm -hmm. there was the war for water, you know, in 2000, yeah. there's yeah. stuff like that. There was, um, was it Suarez, the, who was kind of, you know, came, came to power in, in the late nineties, um, prices going up, foreign investment. Yeah. Had, had you kept up with those kinds of things? when you were when you were like a student no, that kind of thing. um so i i kept up once i was in college once okay. i i you know because i think growing up in the u.s too it i, I hate it um i'm not gonna lie like it, it's embarrassing to talk about don't lie no lying allowed <laughs> i, I hated truth. my my own culture yeah. you know and so i didn't actually start kind of um uh, loving myself loving my people um, until I, I started doing those a lot of independent research through through in college, um, yeah. but so 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 that's when I found out that yeah like you know we had we literally had left Bolivia right before the water war started down there. Wow. wow. Um, yeah, which is absolutely insane. And then um, um, and and then of course everything you know how uh, Evo Morales came to power yeah. how. Um, you know, kind of the, the, the Socialist Party came to power and right. how they ruled. I kind of like, I, I, yeah, you know, all of a sudden, when was his, uh, yeah, I started kind of like learning about Bolivia again in like 2010, 2011, 2012. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, and so all the history that I had missed, I was like, oh, crap, like, 
This, yeah, and so, um, and, and so that one piece, right? So I came here, I think this will be interesting to, to mention too about just the power of kind of like um, US culture. I, came, yeah. I, I grew up in LA and, 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 and I was definitely surrounded by like brown people in East, uh, Northeast LA, you know, but it was mainly like a, a you know, a Mexican, um, uh, you know, majority. And so what that meant is that my Spanish dialect was a little bit different. And of course, like when you're in elementary school, there's always right. bullies. There's always, like, I mean, and I'm sure everybody really thought you were kids. Everybody thought you were Mexican. <laughs> right. And then they heard me speak and they were like, what is, you know, what does polera mean? Like, you know, <laughs> all these different kind of like just different little tiny words. And yeah, all of a sudden I was kind of othered, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so, um, and so it, it, I internalized it. I was like, Oh crap. Like, no one here is Bolivian. No one kind of, uh, yeah. no one ever has listened to our music. Yeah. Um, and then when I looked on TV and entertainment, it was just wealthy white people, you know? So I was like, damn, uh, it, I'm not, it, it sucks to be Bolivian. It's like no representation. That, no representation. I was like, all right, I'm just gonna, you know, like I'm not gonna tell people I'm from Bolivia because nobody even knows where Bolivia is at. People would be right. like, is that in like Europe? Is that in Africa? Is that in the Middle East? <laughs> Africa you know oh, yeah man. dude it was it was yeah i'm like no it's in, it's in south america it's, you know smack in the middle of the continent yeah, it's, it's, um, it's probably around a lot of countries you have heard of <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah oh yeah oh yeah um but so so yeah it was it that, was kind of that self-hatred piece i think is really interesting because mm-hmm. um until you until you verbalized it like i think I think I came back around to that realization about myself. I, I was born here. I have the privilege of having been born on this side of that line. And, um, but because there were no other like Mexican kids in my neighborhood, I grew up in a predominantly African-American neighborhood, loved everything about it. Um, except the fact that I never saw myself in like anything. And so I would always resist, like my dad would want to like, tell me about, Oh, you know, so-and-so that, that guy's Mexican. And that's a, that's a Spanish name there. And I, and I would just get really resistant, like to those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, like you, it wasn't until I got to college. It's when I first when I had my first exposure to ethnic studies courses. And, you know, I took a Chicana Chicano literature class when I was at CU in 1995. And I was like, hold up, like, this is a whole other thing out here. So it's, it's sort of um, comforting to know that I wasn't the only one that felt that way that you kind of had that (laughs) similar thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I think definitely ethnic studies saved my my life, you know, one of the core pieces that saved my, uh, my ability to stay in college, right, those early years when I felt like I just wasn't good enough. I yeah. didn't deserve to be there and all of a sudden yep. i took this latin american studies course and yeah i learned about my own country and i was like holy crap like yeah <laughs> you know like my my people are amazing my people are resilient um yeah. and i am one of them and so yeah. you know i have to keep that going and uh, that's dope that's dope yeah. yeah you start to learn that and you kind of you gain a larger kind of perspective and i think you know unfortunately we still we're still living in a country that's, you know, to say insensitive, I think is a little bit of an understatement. I think that's just outright hostile towards people who've migrated here. Um, so yeah. one of the things I think that's really interesting to you, you know, the, the narrative we grow up with um, and the narrative that kind of gets pushed out there a lot about undocumented folks is that 
you can't do anything. You're in the shadows. You, you have to keep your head down. And, and I think that there's something to that. My partner uh, was undocumented, came here at the age of four and then, mm-hmm. but was here during the Reagan amnesty. So their whole family um, got, it, yeah. got the amnesty in, in 86. And so, but it's been really interesting also watching them kind of analyze that moment and learn more about what the Reagan administration was really about and right. uh, yep. and ways in which it was kind of signed in the locks. He didn't really have a choice at that point that mm-hmm. both houses were, were going to force it through. Right. But, um, but there is that kind of idea of, of helplessness around undocumented people, but you decided to become a teacher. So how was yeah. it that you were able to do that? What, what, first of all, what was it that made you want to teach? And then how were you able to navigate what you needed to in order to get all of that coursework done and all that? Oh, yeah. No, excellent question. So let's see. I, when, when, when I knew I was finally going to go to college, right, when I got that, that notification that I was a call, actually that I received this, the full rest scholarship to go to college. I was like, oh my God, this, I remember screaming at the top of my lungs after, yeah, it was after a tennis practice. Yeah, it was after <laughs> tennis practice. Um, I, I remember my, my teammates just gonna be looking at me like, what's this guy like, you know, yelling about like, we're all going to college, right? Like, why, <laughs> Luis, are you no good, man? Are you good? <laughs> what happened? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and um and so, so for me going into college, I was like, dude, I'm going to be like this, uh, I'm going to be a pre, you know, a political science, pre-law major, uh, right. English literature, like I'm going to yeah. go in and get all the English skills literature. to be like, yeah, I was like, I'm going to get all the skills so I can be like an amazing attorney, oh, set go. me up for law school, become a, you know, an immigration lawyer, oh. uh, and then they become an elected politician to pass immigration reform, right? Okay. Like, fix fix my entire community's problems and yeah so that was the ideal you know it was obviously for me it was just like social justice right like sure sure immigration the fact that you had an opportunity and you wanted you wanted to be able to provide that opportunity to others exactly yeah yeah yeah. so that that was the mentality so initially it wasn't like teacher right it wasn't teacher per se but it was just like how can we you know how can i help um as many people as i can and so Um, uh, I graduated college in five years. So by that fifth year, I had been so in depth into politics, local politics, local government, um, uh, you know, student government, that like by the start of my fifth year, I was kind of like burnt out. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, I was like, dude, political career was like, you know, I've been at this a while and uh, it might be time for something new. And my head wasn't in the right pay, in, in the right sure. place, you know. It's like you, I, I to be in politics and to be undocumented requires um, so much sacrifice and so much mental strength, you know. And, and that we don't have a lot of the resources to at that point to keep that sharp. And so I was like, you know what? Like I'm gonna give my political career a break. Like I'm not gonna go to law school right away as I thought I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and that's when, uh, uh, you know, kind of this opportunity came up. I remember the, the Honors College, Castle the director, she was like, hey, Luis, like, um, have you ever thought about teaching? And I was like, um, no, <laughs> no, like, why, why are you bringing that up? They're like, oh, well, 
you know, it's, uh, well, I told him, right, I was like, no, like, that means that I would have to, like, restart my major, I would have to stay here for, like, another, you know, maybe one, two more years, like, You're I like, you know, I've been here no. a little bit already, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, like, yeah. I'm technically a super senior, I don't want to, you know, I don't know, I don't want to know been what there. the next been there. Called, <laughs> been uh, there. which is fine, too, right, like, yeah, that's, that's, no, I mean, that's the a, thing is, yeah. as, as, especially as people of color, in your first generation, my mother went to college, mm -hmm. Uh, my mom was a non-traditional student, so she went as an adult. Yeah, and most yeah. of, I think she finished her teaching credential and her degree when I was like 13 or 14. So like I, it was always mom was in school. But when, you, when, you're, when you're carrying that kind of, um, when you're shouldering that kind of burden, and I don't mean burden as if you don't want to do it and you don't believe in right. it, but it's, it's a heavy load to carry. Um, mm -hmm. for yourself for your family for your community it can be real tough like it can be and you know you want to for me it was just a matter of changing majors a bunch of times like because yeah. I really yeah. wanted what I did to make a difference and so mm -hmm. like so I so I did coursework in in English I did coursework in history I did coursework in Latin American studies and ethnic studies and you know and then I start seeing people around me graduate and I'm like I probably got to do that <laughs> at some point. So yeah, no, no judgment, yeah. man. Cause I, cause no, I no, 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 either on the people that are in that space. Right. Yeah. Nah, man. Everybody has their journey. And so, so shout out me, to my just... boy, Mike. <laughs> hey. Anyway, I won't say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But yeah. Yep. No, so after uh, that fifth year, starting that fifth year, um, she, yeah. So my, the, the director was just telling me, it's like, all right, like, she was like, you don't actually have to restart a major. She's like, here, you should look into this program. Um, we're actually going to bring in someone to speak about it. And I looked into it and it was the controversial or the hot topic, Teach for America, right? Um, so, uh -oh. uh, so this interview's over. No, I'm playing. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> no, shout out to my dude, Alejandro Diaz Granados. He's the um, Washington, D.C. teacher of the year. And um, he went through Teach for America, and man, they do not right play with some of the stuff you have to do. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I'm gonna fast forward. So I, I, I looked into, it, I did my research. Yeah. I, I ultimately landed that they aligned with my values, and so I signed up. Um, and then, and and um, I always thought I was gonna teach in in, in LA or California, but okay. no, uh, my the the Colorado was like, no, nope, you're gonna come over here. Um, and we'll make it happen for you. And yeah, it was a, a You're like springs? tremendous order. Springs? Like well, I looked springs. at the map, right? I was like, <laughs> hmm. I looked at Google Maps. I was like, oh, Colorado Springs seems really close to Denver. It's probably like a 30-minute drive. That's easy. I can do that. No. No, it's, it's not. And it's only gotten no. a little bit longer, right? So Yeah, so much traffic. But um, And so, yeah. I, so I, um, so it was through Teach for America, they gave me the... The opportunity to one yeah. kind of do just they call it institute but it's like crazy amount of just like it's crazy summer yeah it's like, like an teach, intensive like right like yeah. you essentially they 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 want you to get as much of the background and coursework done in a really short amount of time and you even do some teaching oh, yeah. in that summer right no yeah it's, it's actually all kind of hands-on so they okay. just throw you they throw you so yeah so it's like theory like you, hardcore theory like the entire time and then yeah. you have you have to teach summer school, right? So you know, I, I literally slept like this is just my experience, but I probably slept like two to three hours every day yeah. while I was doing that because I was just prepping for everything else. Yeah. And then obviously a first gen student, like 
Yeah. Um, and not, not from the education route per se. So I had to like really had so much to, to make up for, you know, I just, yeah. yeah so, um, but I was young, right. My body could handle it. Not more. <laughs> that's I right. definitely cannot do two to three hours. I know. Oh, no, 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 no. That is not a thing yeah, one, anymore. One of the things that, uh, Ale shared with me was that he had to take seven praxis tests. Like he had oh. to take a test, like, because he was, yeah. he, he was out of, I forget where he was originally, but they're like, yeah, we might put you in DC. We might put you in Philly. We might put you in NYC. We might put you. Damn. So yeah. you need to pass all these tests oh. so that we can place mm-hmm. you. But, you know, here's what I'll say. And, you know, I, I know that TFA is pretty controversial, you know, and there's definitely some stuff there that is highly debatable. Um, but I was invited to speak at, uh, one of their conferences. Let's see. It was the last time the Broncos won the Super Bowl, which was also the last time I cared about football. 2015. 2015. Yep. That's when I was there. And my first um, year here. Yep. Oh, that's wild. So I, so I went to, I went to DC to speak about teacher leadership. I was in DPS's like inaugural group of uh, senior team leads and distributed leadership programming and that kind of thing. And what was really striking to me is every building I ever worked in, in DPS, I started teaching in 1999, um, was so white. Like I was often the only person of color, one of only a couple of people of color. Then there was maybe me and the Spanish teacher who didn't really see themselves as a person of color, (laughs) you know, even though they were more Mexican, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, And then I'm at this conference (laughs) in DC for Teach for America. And I would say not even exaggerating half to two thirds of the educators there are educators of color. And that gave me pause. That was kind of like, but maybe we do need other sort of pathways for uh, yeah. candidates of color, because to your point, I'm not going to go back and do another two years and then go a year not getting paid. Like, right. how are you going to ask yeah. that of me as a first generation person, as a person who came from a working class background, how are you going to ask that? So I maintain oh, yeah. my controversy, my controversial takes on, on TFA, but, I, but it's not lost on me that people like yeah. you have actually come into the profession and have been real credit to the profession through that program. Yeah, no, that yeah, absolutely. That's the only way. And, 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 and kind of like m- most people um, actually don't know that there are alter- alternative licenses, right. That are essentially kind of exactly what TFA uh, does, but it's different. Um, yeah. But for me, that was uh, like, you're right. The one kind of pathway that allowed me to put this now, absolutely like i i can definitely i have so many experiences that i that i can definitely say yeah that's a knock towards cfa but i can also can i cannot deny the fact that um being in in with their network and their community have, has allowed me to touch base with so many incredible educators of color yeah um yeah. so many amazing kind of folks here in colorado and across the entire nation who are doing yeah. amazing things right and so yeah. um and and, and so and in a of course in the industry that's obviously very kind of like white middle-aged and uh, yeah. also women per se you know to be a yeah. brown man a brown undocumented educator yeah um it's definitely <laughs> like it doesn't come very often and so it's that unicorn um, so, status you're that unicorn <laughs> <laughs> a little bit yeah well, yeah because when i when i all of a sudden was uh, that first year i was i wasn't in the student seat anymore right i was on i'm standing i was you know writing on the whiteboard 
Yeah. Uh, that was definitely like a mess. People still ask you for a pass. Like that happened to me a lot when I was the first and second year teachers, like asking me, um, young man, what class are you supposed to be? And I'm like, it's my duty free lunch. <laughs> my, 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 yeah, my principal would, would call the students honey. And so one time she was like, hey, honey, go to class. And I turn around and, was like, and she was like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. A. I'm so sorry. I thought you were a student. She cracked up. I mean, um, but yeah, I know that happened. We don't age. We can't <laughs> help it, man. We, we stay looking good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody was telling me reparations, right? Our skin. We just like, we, we get younger as we age. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But That's uh, right. So then it was, yeah. it was it, so DACA kind of allowed you to continue doing that or how was it that you were Exactly, to... exactly. So yeah, in 2012, um, DACA came out. So in the middle of my college years, I, I, I received my work permit and that was like, the extra kind of like uh, platform that I was like, oh crap, like I can absolutely finish college because what yeah. I do, you know, I'm going to be able to like work and do this and that. So, yeah. Um, and I'm not going to lie. There was so many issues trying to become a teacher um, while being undocumented. Just folks wow. had yeah. no idea how to like yeah. handle me. There was, mm-hmm. I, the praxis situation was actually really messy because none really? of them would take my ID. Yeah. They were like, oh no, this looks fake. This looks ter- I remember I, I, I showed up and they didn't let me take a test and there go there went like two hundred dollars something like that you know um, yeah it was really frustrating and then eight, dealing with like HRs at the district level too was just like a nightmare initially because one I'm like trying to for the first time navigate um, you know what it means to like access payroll uh, yeah you know like the tax system my, yeah. you know my health benefits. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait, but you're not a resident nor you a citizen. Hold up. And it was just tons of like, yeah, just well, and HR a lot departments of tend to run at half the speed of life. And so they don't always <laughs> know when there have been updates to anything. <laughs> like, for Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No. And yeah. So they, they definitely had a hard, really hard time with me. They still are, but I, they've come a long way, I would say. Up sure. until now. But yeah, at that point it was just. It was a mess. Um, but but ultimately, though, you know, after proving that uh, I'm indeed eligible to work and proving that I have all the documentation, you know, yeah, um, was able to 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 focus on on my craft, which is, you know, yeah. I taught English and AVID at Harrison High School for three years. Yep. It's one of the most amazing uh, experiences of my life to date. Right? Like, there's nothing like being in front of a classroom having yeah. your students and then yep. seeing them grow in a ninth month period and yeah um and being and, around and even I know, in a, yeah you go ahead i was now i was gonna say yeah and just kind of like seeing the uh, all the amazing students go from amazing to even more amazing some of the kind of the knuckleheads if you will not be <laughs> knuckleheads by the end of the year you know yeah like coming in with like apology letters and be like my i'm so sorry about how to treat you <laughs> You know, that first fall semester, I grew so much, thing, you know, like, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's just something that, that money will never kind of be able to, to top, I would say. And I'm sure um, you had a real um, positive impact on, you know, Colorado Springs is a lot more diverse than people realize that you do have oh, yeah. a sizable Latinx community. You do have mm-hmm. a sizable African-American immigrant community. community. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Immigrant community in general. And so that probably meant a lot to families and, and kids and communities for, you to be there even though you didn't have exactly the same background a little bit more in common maybe with other teachers that they had 
Yeah, I know. At the school I taught was like 50% uh, Latinx, 25% white, 15% oh, black. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, kind of Asian, then biracial, Native American, and so on and so forth. But it was it was actually super diverse if you look at those numbers, you know. And so, um, but I, I was like the one brown uh, Latino yep. teacher, you know, <laughs> at that school. So it absolutely made a big difference you know to be in there um just my spike system yeah you know? yeah. yeah it makes a huge difference that's something that kevin and i have tried to work on on the two dope teachers podcast about how do we get these stories out here and how do we how do we make this a profession that's accessible to communities of color so uh Luis, we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about you making big moves um to even expand your impact and, and empower other kids. So stay with us here yes, on Habitually Disruptive. Hello, listener. If you've made it this far into the episode, perhaps you are enjoying this remix conversation about power, culture, and education. And if that's the case, please consider joining others like you, educators, community leaders, activists, scholars, artists, and youth by supporting the Two Dope Teachers in a Mic podcast and productions on Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you can get on-air shout-outs, sneak previews, and early released episodes, insider information on the happenings in Two Dope Nations, and many other small benefits. The greatest benefit, though, is you enable us to keep bringing the fire. Because of people like you, we have expanded to two podcasts with the exit interview taking flight and forcing hard conversations about attacks on black educators. And we've added new features, including episode transcripts and a revamped website, all because of listeners like you. But that's just the beginning. Your support will open up new possibilities for us and for the communities we represent and advocate for. And at the $15 per month level, you receive a sticker. Yes, folks, a sticker. To support the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash 2dopeteachers. That's patreon.com slash 2dopeteachers. Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Gerardo Munoz. I am back with my guest, Luis Antesana. Uh, Luis, so you were talking a little bit about your move into education and um, this kind of social justice focus that you've always had, this idea that whatever you do with your one life should be something that benefits others. So you've kind of, um, you're like this rising star, man. Like, you know, people know who you are. People know the work that you're doing. Uh, got to hear you on uh, on Therese Ednium podcast uh, recently. Right. And that was yeah. super cool. Um, you've kind of decided to take control of your own professional life. Um, and you, and you're kind of doing this with like this amazing combination of commitment, humility, and passion. Like it's clear that you're fired up about this. It's clear that you're locked in. And it's also clear that this isn't about you individually, that you actually want to make a larger, um, a larger impact. So can you, Take a minute and just describe your path from classroom teacher to Juntos to college. Yeah, absolutely. So it was in October 2019. I was at Lincoln High School and um, I love Lincoln High School, 90% Latino, Latina, uh, Latinx community, many immigrants. Yeah, yeah, this was a DPS. Um, yeah. uh, I was actually working for uh, the Denver Scholarship Foundation, but I was at uh, on site right. at Lincoln High School. 
Yeah. Um, and so, so many students who just looked like me, who shared my background, so many yeah. mixed status families, many undocumented students. Yeah. Um, and um, and I, I love I love leading the, the 12th grade classes there. It was yeah. truly a privilege and honor. It was hard as hell, but it was it was an honor. Yeah, um, but it, it was it was I remember at that point that for me, um, like I definitely you know had a really good grip on like how to help our our our, our U.S. citizens, how to help our green car residents, our yeah. refugees. Go through the How long had you been at, the, at DSF, at the Denver Scholarship Foundation at that point? At that point, it was my second year. Okay. Yeah, it was my so you had year. had a chance to really understand a lot of the workings and kind of how paying for college mm-hmm. sort of works, particularly for communities of color. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Well, when I was a teacher um, at Harrison High School, um, one of my classes was avid, was an AVID course. So I was That's also right. an AVID teacher. The- so. Yeah, the yeah. whole like, you know, um, uh, habits, college habits, college readiness yep. habits and skills. And so was doing that for um, uh, a lot of English learners. And, okay. And so just it was just like a really smooth transition to kind of do that full time and right. um, kind of gain all the, you know, the Denver Scholarship Foundation. They're, they're so good at what they do. They have a, a tremendous, wonderful team. I got to learn from some amazing educators who are, yeah. um, you know, all throughout the Denver public schools. And so um and so so for me yeah i was just kind of pushing that but you know so at this point i was five years as an undocumented professional yeah and as an educator and after five years you know i still saw like so many undocumented students falling through the cracks Mm -hmm. right like dropping out just not college not being an option for them by default um, right. and, uh, and by choice in many cases. And a lot of their rationale, you know, I couldn't really argue against, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, like, you know, a parent got deported and my parents like can't work right now. Like I need to be able to support the family financially. Yeah. Like I need to go work under the table jobs yeah. um, uh, right now. Um, and, and this is why I'm not coming to school. Or this is why there's no point in me finishing school, especially when I'm like, getting you know uh, just uh, punished by the education system there's yeah. just all these things right um and so so for me i was like man like i'm working like you know 50 plus hours my teachers my colleagues the schools uh, everybody's working so hard 50 plus hours yeah yet despite that we're the students were still falling through the cracks right? so i was like well what's really going on here and so for right. me i actually was able to kind of narrow narrow down on, on this one gap there are many gaps but the gap for me was the technology piece in supporting oh, okay. educators like me and helping undocumented students so when i was a teacher yeah. you know there's so many really cool platforms that allowed us to create engaging lesson plans right, right. um lesson plans that students can access on their phones their chromebooks their laptops hmm. etc so much cool technology right and yeah. when it came to the college access piece, right, getting kids to college, first-gen kids, brown kids, undocumented kids, um, there was nothing. It was mm-hmm. still as traditional as it's always been, right? right. Pair the student with a mentor. Pair the student with someone who knows more. Um, and yeah. then just have them guided, which I think is still an uh, absolutely perfect model. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking, if you're working with, like, low-quantity students, right, 
because when you're working with massive caseloads, all of a sudden it's like 150, 200, 300, 400 yep. students yep. per counselor per one. That's when it kind of gets out of hand and, and, yeah. and that that model falls. Well, I read falls somewhere apart. that like the overall sustainability of school counseling in public schools right now is pretty ridiculous. Like um, yeah. something like th- on the average nationwide the caseload is 401 students per one counselor. Like that's how it's like, and that is wild. (laughs) So, and then when you think about the inequities, just in that type of system, when, when, when on the average counselor is responsible for 400 students, the other inequities, the persistent inequities just get intensified. So if you are an undocumented student, you already don't have great access. And now your lack of access is compounded by the fact that your counselor just doesn't have time. So it just worsens yeah. it. Yeah. That must've been really yeah. hard to, hard to witness. Just like right. asking yourself how many Luises would it take <laughs> to, to make uh, yeah. this happen? Like how, do, how many uh, do I need? 25 of them, 50 of them, a hundred of them. <laughs> like how many of oh us my do goodness. I need? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, I don't think there's there's a number, right? Because there's just so many yeah. more students, so many yeah. more. I mean, the next generation, right? And and so so yeah, it was it was that piece where I was like, okay, well, can we create like a a, a platform, right? Uh, to, at that time, it was I was trying to create an application. Could we create an application that helps on that? That essentially like puts what I have in my my brain, like how yeah. undocumented students. Can we put it? on our family's uh, cell phones can we put it on their chromebooks yeah. can we put it on their laptops yeah. so that any wherever they're at so long as they you know have internet they can gain the support and so i took the idea to that idea i took it to a tech stars um education weekend for like 72 hours it was a competition where you brought oh, wow. in ideas education ideas and you just kind of like it's yeah it's a whole competition and so at the end yeah. of it um that's where kind of the name was like Juntos to College yeah. kind of came out and we ended up getting second place. Yo. <laughs> but uh, we got this little <laughs> cool little plastic trophy and we got like a big pumpkin cool. that says second place because it was, it was October. It was yeah. Halloween. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and, uh, but more than the podium, right? Uh, it was really the validation that for me as an educator, as a professional, being undocumented, that I wasn't alone. That that yeah. I wasn't crazy. That I that I didn't have this terrible idea. Yeah. That kind and, of like industry this, leaders. This could work. Like like people actually exactly. looked at this idea and said, "No, this is a real yeah. thing that could work." How did that feel to kind of like get that recognition? Not only that you now could do something for the community, but but just like I had this idea, it it actually could work, and people think it could work. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. So the the judges were like, you know, business uh, leaders, education leaders, uh, leaders in technology who were like, dude, you need to keep going because this this could absolutely work. And so for me, I was like, oh, my like that whole weekend had butterflies. I remember like Hmm. day one, it took me like 50 minutes to go inside into the building because I just didn't know if I could do it. I remember wow. that Saturday nights, I went home feeling like a failure. I was like, dude, mm. I don't know what the hell we're building. And then that third and that Sunday when we got the, the you know, second place and all of that, I was like, oh, my wow. God. The, <laughs> the, the butterflies were, black, were back. Yeah, they, they were back. <laughs> but it was like, but it was like a sense of relief, right? It was yeah. Like, well, it's like exciting we at that point. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is a thing. 
yeah, this is this is something that we just got to push forward, right? And so, so yeah, so that's kind of where that idea started, um, yeah. kind of like five years in, and um, and so, so yeah, so that was really cool. It was it was it was an amazing experience, uh, you know, an educator by training at that point, right? Yeah, uh, going into like this kind of like uh, business e kind yeah. type of space was was weird. It was definitely weird, but <laughs> I really liked learning. You know, I I, I love learning. I got curious about so many kind of different topics, and yeah. before I knew it, in 2020, early 2020. Um, before the pandemic, we got a, a grant from Immigrants Rising. We got our first little Kickstarter grant, two thousand dollars. Oh yeah, um, yeah, and and that was you know that that was the moment that I was like, oh crap, like now I have to spend this. So okay, <laughs> you know, let's let's spend it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so so yeah, it was funny because I um, so, yeah, what'd you do with it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I had, I had built like a little budget, right? Like, here's what I'm going to do. So the idea was to um, create a prototype, right? Create the first mm-hmm. kind of like MVP or the minimum viable product, right? And so um, and so the idea was for me to, uh, uh, to get together a team of software developers. Mm. We're going to kind of create this little first prototype, the first application, where we're going to try to embed like AI technology and stuff like that. Oh, wow. Um, and, and all of a sudden that summer, I found myself managing software developers, dude. And, 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 and how, how much, did, how much experience did you have with software development at this point? None. Like, zero. <laughs> that's what I wonder. I was like, that's, I thought you said you were an English major. <laughs> that's amazing. No, that was a huge learning process. Dude. Okay. Yeah. I was like, what am I doing? Like, you're know, managing back end, uh, front end uh, developers, UX, UI designers. I was yeah. Like, but it was just such a wonderful, like the folks who could volunteer oh, their uh, their time. We paid them, but it was, you know, we they essentially volunteered wow. um, their time because they believed in like supporting our body and students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and 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 yeah, it was just I learned so much from them. I learned so much about like what not to do as a <laughs> you know, as a as a manager for, for software and stuff like that. And yeah, but yeah, it was just, it was just a really cool experience. And it's amazing. So um, you ended up kind of like being in this, like you, you have this idea that's rooted in a lot of things you have knowledge about. You have knowledge about the college process. You have knowledge about navigating it as an undocumented person. You have knowledge about how financial aid works from your experience at DSF and, but yeah. now you're having to sort of venture out and take more risks with stuff that you don't have the same background in. It's impressive. Oh yeah, yeah, and that was scary as hell. You're like definitely yeah, not recommended for everybody, <laughs> but it was, it was, uh, it was. Well I don't know, cool. man. It's, I, I it seems it. to have worked pretty well for you, so maybe it is a good <laughs> thing for folks. I mean, I think there is this thing about like you know the podcast is called is called habitually disruptive, but part of part of making disruptions for social justice. Is about disrupting yeah. things within yourself, disrupting that those sure. toxic narratives sure. that you have, you know, where where I I would have been, I wouldn't have done this if I were you. I would have been like, oh, I'm an English major, technology, psh, forget it. I'm just like gonna do something yeah. else. But so some of that is disrupting your own sense of limitation and your own sense of mm-hmm. just because I never did it before doesn't mean I can't like do it. I think that's impressive. Um, yeah. so that's kind of a cool thing. No, it is, it is. And uh and now, yeah, it's, it's, it, was, it was wonderful. It was such a, like, a, a crazy experience. I mean, I, and this was when we were already, like, 
you know, pandemic. This is insane. Yep. So, and, and, but it made kind of like the idea even more important, right? Like the urgency was there because for yeah. us, it was giving folks access wherever they're at. And of yeah. course, the pandemic came in and we couldn't see each other. And it was like, oh crap. Like, yep. yeah. Like, now we really got to do this. You really got to yeah. do this. So, the yeah. vision. I really appreciate the part of the vision. Maybe you can speak to it a little bit. Envisioning a society where every high school graduate has access to upward economic mobility. Talk a little bit about how you came to that as a vision statement. Um, Because I think that's really, I think it's really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, it was um, tons of trial and error. (laughs) Tons of (laughs) Of trial and error. Everything. Oh yeah, but it was definitely, um, I, I, I've been very privileged to have access to some amazing mentors, uh, amazing folks who are just a million times smarter than me, right? And who have been able to guide me. And so, um, you know, I, I always shoot them ideas. So I would, I would tell them like, hey, what do you think about this? And yeah, um, more than not, they'd be like, okay, that here's really, is this what you're trying to say? Because if you're trying to say like, this is how you <laughs> kind of make that sound, you know? And so- yeah. Eventually, that's how we got to it. But but for me, it's it's um, um, I landed on that because it absolutely speaks to to what we want to do for our undocumented communities, right? Like, for me and for us, like upward economic mobility, um, that means having access to high quality jobs and careers, right? Because we know that's what's actually going to allow um, the families themselves to transform their communities. Yeah. Right. When they when they when they can make a, when they have a living wage, when when they're loving what they're doing, um, you know, that's kind of the, the catalyst for true transformation. Um, and so um, and part of that is also, you know, um, you know, building wealth, building generational wealth, you know, something that we've never had. Yeah. And, and I personally never knew would be attainable. Yep. Uh, yeah. in my lifetime maybe my kids you know yep. maybe their yep. kids but that's what I used to think like me you know like I'll never become <laughs> a homeowner like you know I'll never sure. do this this and that and all of a sudden I went through the whole process I educated myself I learned and I realized like that it, the entire system is is such a big game you yeah. know and so and, and 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 so for me it was like okay well there are ways to do this, very real ways. And, and our community has been doing it. There's been so many uh, undocumented families that have thrived for, for decades, right? And I want to say that one more time, thrived, right? Not just thrived. survived, yep. not just like barely made. No, they've That's thrived. Right. And it's because they've been able to um, figure out how the system actually works. Right. Um, and so they've had thriving businesses, right? They've, they've, had, uh, they've owned land, they've owned homes. And, yeah. um, but it's always been a whisper. Right. It's always been a whisper in the undocumented community because that fear is still there. Right. That at any yeah. point um, it can be taken away. And so. Yeah. Um, so for us, it's now to no longer just let it be a whispering thing. We're going to institutionalize it. Right. We're going to create an actual yeah. system to uplift our undocumented community so that wow. they can um, own their businesses, so that they yeah. can, you know, earn an income so that they can purchase their own home and to watch when, for one day to raise their families in, right? Oh, um, yeah. And in a way, that's absolutely disruptive. That's reclamation of the land. That's, you know, a movement yeah. for, um, you know, housing um, and really a movement for equity. And so- yeah. oh, And that's it's a movement that's also, that's also informed by a class consciousness, like understanding absolutely. that 
getting your like having some kind of economic mobility does actually provide opportunity. Like I was talking about home ownership as being probably the most important source of wealth right. that one can get. I was talking about this to one of my classes on Friday and, you know, and I, I just did it really briefly and we did, yeah. we did it listening to Jay-Z's OJ song. <laughs> right and so there's a couple of pieces in there where it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, I've, in two years later, this thing's worth 4 million, you know, three, you know, that kind of thing. But also explaining to my students in a very real way, like we bought our first home, it was really inexpensive, like it was really tiny place. And then when we decided to have children, we got a bigger one, stayed there for good, stayed through the, when the housing bubble busted in, you know, in the early 2010s, and saw our property go down, but kind of stayed the course. And then we were able to kind of continue. And so, you know, so when you start having those conversations and, you know, it's simple, but it's not easy. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Absolutely. To help you get that kind of access. So what I also yeah. hear in the, in the work that you kind of, as you describe it, is that it's, it's college, but, but it's not just through college. Right. So you talk a little bit about, college access, entrepreneurship, and workforce entry. So this isn't a program that is only focused on go and get a four-year liberal arts degree. Right, right. No, exactly. And it's yeah. home ownership too. So home ownership yeah. education. So uh, well, first I want to say, dude, that sounds like a dope lesson. I'd love to be in it. Yeah. Your, <laughs> your students are so lucky. Yeah, sounds Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah, you can tell my eighth graders that they don't feel as lucky these days with me, <laughs> but um, we're working on it. We're working yeah, on the relationship. Yeah, it'll come around. <laughs> in May, in May, right? Like once, yeah, exactly. Once exactly. You're talking about like, knuckleheads. I'm like, yeah. oh man, maybe I got some... <laughs> Some young people who are going to see yeah. the or maybe I'll, maybe I'm the one that's the knucklehead. You never know. Maybe, maybe. I'm the knucklehead. Maybe. You know, maybe, I, maybe I'm going to get to me and be like, you know, you guys, I'm just so sorry. I was such a fool in September. <laughs> Here's more yeah. music. Um, exactly. Yeah, no. So it was, uh, so no, yeah. So for Juntos to College, yeah, absolutely. So um, I think college is, it's, it's, it's still, right, um, kind of like one of the, common denominator for helping folks kind of move up if you will um in terms of like class as well right um so so that's why kind of that's part of our name Uh, obviously i'm a product of that um Mm -hmm. but as i've come through through that experience i absolutely know that um i was super privileged to go to go to college right um right you know when i got that full ride scholarship i was one out of um, I was actually one of two who got the scholarship, but over a hundred applicants, right? So yeah, two folks got the scholarship, but like, yeah. you know, a hundred other students were not able to go to college because of that, yeah. right? So what happens to those yeah. students, right? What happens to those families where for whatever, you know, X, Y, Z reason, they just can't or are not going to go to college. Right. Does that mean that their life ends right there and there? No, right? Absolutely yeah. not. How could I say that? Um, yeah. So, so for us, it was to build an entire kind of like system, right, that allows our students to pursue whatever they're leaning towards to uh, at a particular time, right, whether it's college access, absolutely, or whether it's starting their own business, right, they have that yeah. mindset, they're like, no, like, I'm going to hustle right now, like, what do yeah. I need to do, right, or three, if they want to enter the workforce, this is mainly for our DACA recipients, right, folks are like, well, how can I get my first job, how can I make, or how can I uh, get a new job, right, um, right. How we could how how can we propel our students to get the high paying jobs and stuff like that? 
Yeah. Um, and then the third piece here is the, the home ownership and credit education. So right yeah. now we're just educating, educating students on, on what it looks like, right? Like actual practical steps to starting your credit and uh, rebuilding your credit in many cases yeah. too, right? Like, um, and so a lot, of, a lot of the stuff which so many of us immigrants have learned the hard way. And I speak yeah. personally. Like yeah, I too. absolutely learned the hard way. Me too. Um, and it took me a minute, man. It took <laughs> my, me a my, my spouse married. My spouse married debt. Like, <laughs> and uh, there was yeah. a, there was there was a lot of surgery that needed to be done there. <laughs> so, oh my goodness! <laughs> Shout out to your partner for for yeah for, for getting into that mess. Real, yeah. Didn't um, now now they ask right. That's a joke. Now it's like, what's your parents <laughs> for on the first date? You know, so. <laughs> you just it's wear a smart it. Move. Like, it's on shirt, like right there. <laughs> no, and I think yeah. it's interesting what, what you're saying to me also, it reminds me of a conversation I had last week with another podcaster, Natalie Bartabasso, who is talking about how we're kind of moving into this more of a creator economy. So the, mm-hmm. the pathways to economic success, economic independence and freedom they're not the traditional ones where you you go to the, you know, I, um, I, I think of a conversation I had with Luis J. Rodriguez where he talks about back in the day in the 80s in L.A., like you you went to a factory, you started as a sweeper, you did that for a while, you would move up, you could become a foreman, you can get paid vacations, and eventually you could get your pension and retire. And that's just not the only path to, and actually that path is becoming less and less easy to access. So what we have is yeah. folks who are, who are starting to just create stuff. Like, I think, I think you're one of those folks who's created a thing um, that will uplift others. And, you know, I I love the disruption of of this idea that the only way you can be economically successful is if you go to college Um, because it's simply, it's simply not true. Now there's real questions about civic engagement when it comes to not getting that, college education but in terms of being a, a a financially free person there are a lot of paths and it seems like juntos to college does that yeah no yeah absolutely and well the other piece too is that it, for me like i've i've learned the hard way too right um being a product of the college it's like a you know four-year uh public uh, liberal arts institution um and 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 it's it's that you know students Students, um, you know, how can I phrase this? So there are students who see college as an extension of the high school education system. Yeah. And because oh, that's, of that, so they're well absolutely that turned so off. so well put. Yep. They're like, wait, you, you mean know? more school? Because they'll say that more school <laughs> yeah. when I don't have to. Because and I think years. you're right. I hadn't thought yeah. of it in that way. That they think it's like it's exactly the way it was in high school. Which why would they want more of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, they're and, and there's they they have that mindset. That's just how their perspective towards life, you know. And it's absolutely very difficult to tell them no. It's actually different because that's just where mm-hmm. they're locked in at that time, right? Yeah. Um, but what we so what we. But what I absolutely try to um, kind of instill in them, uh, not just the words, but showing them how kind of like the whole system works is that it is so important to distinguish um, college and education, mm. right? Um, yeah, talk about that. Yeah, because uh, college, absolutely, like a four-year university, a community college, a trade school, apprenticeship, um, 
uh, well, not apprenticeship, but this other three, right? That's college. Right. Uh, but they're educating you, right? But you don't need any of those three systems to learn the education to become a welder or to uh, become an IT person um, right. or to even just like become a coach, et cetera. So many, so many yeah. careers, right? Et cetera. And so for me, it's times like, no, there's for anything you want to do in life, you're always going to have to learn something, right? And that's the education. Yeah. Now, how you get that yeah. education is absolutely up to you. And there are systems yeah. to get to that, right? Yep. Um, and so, so, so the way that we, for our entrepreneurship piece, which is kind of our flagship right now, this is really what I'm like really trying to scale and expand yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, is 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 for students, right? To to give them the confidence to see themselves as entrepreneurs, like you mentioned, to create things, to build things, to provide products or services that allow them to earn a living wage, right? And yeah. and when and when so when they go through our, our education program at the end, they're like, wow, like I can't believe I did that. Here's the idea, yeah. right? Here's this problem, here's the solution, here, here's how much money we need. Um, here's how here are here's how much we're gonna make here's a revenue wow. right once they have that they're like oh okay but like how it's on paper it looks good on paper but how do i do that now and i tell them well you're gonna have to go get some skills yeah. you know and yeah. you can do that I, you can do that at a four-year university you can do that to your community college you can do that trade school apprenticeship you can do that here on a just like uh, you know, et cetera, type of model, and yeah, then where that's are you going to build your skills? Where are you going to build those, build those skills? Yeah, so they're like, oh, okay, so then are you telling me that if I go to the community college of Denver, there, you know, I, I can potentially get financial aid to cover my my cost there, and I can get that certificate of the two year program for free? I was like, yeah, pretty close to free. You can do that, pretty and then much. after that, you can start the business, or you can do it yeah. at the same time. And then we plan yeah. plan that out, right? And that's really what blows them away. They're like, oh, okay, well, maybe college then is for me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it, it, everything just clicks. This comprehensive approach um, just clicks and they, they see the value in all of it now. And it's all of a sudden, not just another four years of, of high school, of like this right. very rigid, structured, you know, mm -hmm. like on the dot type of system where it's, it's just their pathway. It's just their journey. Yeah. Um, You're sort of in control. And, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. So that's the piece, right? It's like, all right, all of a sudden, um, the students are learning that they have agency um, mm. over their own lives, right? That they can actually control exactly what type of lives they want to have. And so for us, yeah. it's tying all that together. It's the earning income. It's the education piece. Um, and, and that's for the skills. Uh, that's for the knowledge. And that's also for the home ownership part, right? That's because totally. for us, like, our vision is that in five years, our, our, our first kids um, who are going through our system now are going to start buying their first little town home, their little condos, their small yeah. family homes. Yeah. And for them, they would be maybe in 24, 25, 26. Can you imagine them, right? Buying their first little piece of land. So by yeah. the time they're 30, they can potentially get their dream home, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, some, starting something, uh, something like that, right? It's creating that vision where our kids are just like, have this pipeline towards upward mobility. And so yeah. and it started in, October 2019, and now we're testing everything out. We have a pilot. And it's just wow. crazy, man. It, it, I'm so lucky to be in this kind of position. Yeah, um, that's dope. I mean, and, and you know, that's the thing is that when, when I, because I've spent a little bit of time reading up on, on the work that you're doing and just the imagination and the kind of your own entrepreneurial spirit is, is contagious because I look at this and I'm like, this exemplifies that great quote i forgot who said it but they said um if you can't find what you're looking for create it right, right. so if it isn't there make it and it really feels like that's what you've done 
Um, so I have one more question that's kind of on the more lighthearted side. I'm, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot because I forgot to tell you. Um, so <laughs> good. so I, like to, I like to do a top five of anything. Like, so, so Luis Rodriguez had his top five, like, places to write, right? And so he, like, listed those off. And we had someone that said, like, top five Drake songs. And I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, what, what do you think about giving me a top five of anything that Luis Antesana is into? Oh, he's thinking. We'll so get I'm to thinking music. Doo, doo. My top. I know. Huh? Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna continue on some of the topic, the lighthearted topics we were talking about earlier, which is video games. No, all right, top, top five video games. Five video games. Yo, right? let's do it. <laughs> all right here we go we're gonna start a list we're gonna get people talking here that's right so, that's so, right let's debate so fifth uh this is gonna be this is gonna be some controversial content people are gonna people are gonna be <laughs> fighting about this on social media yeah. i'm here for it man we're here for the real I stuff <laughs> oh yeah here we go all right so so top five is gonna be something uh a franchise that's like historic but actually mm. not many people have ever kind of played it uh -oh. That's actually going to be uh, Metroid. So top five is Metroid, man. Metroid, all right. I've not heard of it. I, uh, no, there you I, go. I don't know. And Metroid has been around since the eighties. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Metroid. That's um, my excuse. So the classic. It's actually um, it was one of the first video games that had a a woman protagonist. Um, and you found oh, okay. that at the end after you went in after the whole game, and you're like this crazy kind of like robot. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, kind of like superhero, and I think we found out that she's a woman in the '80s. That was pretty. Uh, that's wild. Historic, you know. Um, okay. Samus That's it. So five is Metroid. Uh, okay. Sort of one of the more obscure ones. Uh, number four, it's gonna be. Um, folks are gonna be a, a little upset with me, but it's actually gonna uh -oh. be uh, Mario. So we're gonna go with Super Mario. Uh, let's go with Super Mario um, Bros. Three. Yeah, Super, Super Mario, Mario Bros. Bros. 3. Three. Okay, cool. That was one. Yeah, so that one's a classic. I mean, everybody knows Mario, but this is Super Mario Bros. So 3. So what? Like what makes size. that one number four out of all the others? Um, it's just th this one's a classic. You can pick up and play. You got all the little suits for Mario variety. Yep, yep, yep. Tanuki <laughs> suit, little fireball right. suit. Um, <laughs> And it was like it was like a world you can kind of like you know it's it, it was just crazy man just a wonderful game I remember love it playing love that it. as a kid and even as an adult uh, when I get when I can get my hands on it still such a joy. <laughs> um, number three is gonna have to be um, uh, NBA 2K. Just I was gonna throw that out there. We gotta get that. I'm a fan. Some, some basketball. I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and 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 I, I'm gonna give people a heads up now. Madden is not on this list. I'm actually so disappointed with the Madden series. So I'm, oh, I'm gonna man. stay with. I only just play 2K now. Yeah, just and don't add us, y'all. You know he knows what he's talking about. Like Madden <laughs> on the list. Wait, so do you do you um do you watch the NBA in real life or just in the games? Oh uh, no, absolutely. I uh -oh. love the NBA. I'm a yeah. I'm afraid to ask this question. <laughs> Lakers, I'm a Lakers. Oh, fan. Killing me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Denver this Nuggets. Interview I had this over. Terrain, well. <laughs> Wait, I got something. I got something here for you. Hold on. Yeah, let me pull this out because I feel like I feel like I need to. I feel like I need to start stuff right now. 
Got Ooh, got my got my Jamal Murray jersey right here. Uh, no, you know what? It's funny because uh, one go. of my one of my most formative experiences as a kid was so my dad came here from Mexico in the early seventies, and I was I was born in Denver. I was actually born at St. Joseph's over where the Kaiser campus is now. So I've like literally been in Denver for forty five years, and. Um, and one of the first things we yeah. did at his, he used to work for King Supers at his job. They gave out Nuggets tickets every now and then. Uh, so we got these Nuggets tickets. I was like seven. I was little. Um, and they were handing out Dan Issel jerseys to the first like thousand kids yeah. that came. So I got my little jersey. And, but we're up in the nosebleeds with all these Lakers fans, <laughs> like Damn. all of these Lakers fans. And I was a little kid. <laughs> and I just remember saying a couple of things. I was like, well, I'm wearing this jersey. And I don't like that. And it was just a wrap. <laughs> now, let me just say this one thing, though. I never even recognized the contradiction until way later in life. My favorite player in the history of the NBA is Magic Johnson. Ooh. Like, I yeah, that's a big contradiction. love <laughs> Magic. And I didn't, and I didn't, un, like, I never even, now I hate everybody that plays my team, like when they're playing them, but I can appreciate, <laughs> you know, game recognized games. Yeah. So, Man, oh, we're gonna yeah. have to we're gonna have to watch some games or something. Um, oh yeah, um, Lakers Nuggets. I think they're so, coming here. You're not March, one that so. you're not one that gave up on the Lakers when they signed LeBron. Then no, no. There's some no, people I've, who've no, done was, that. Are you? I, are you I was aware? hyped. <laughs> some people, some yeah, people yeah, have yeah, like bailed yeah. on it, which I don't understand. I love LeBron. The the hate for LeBron, I don't understand it. I'm like, come on, y'all. I, this, the, if there's like he's like one of the closest things to like a perfect human being and it's like why you get why I mean, you get that you know he has opened schools like he more schools than than michael jordan did and um yeah. plays the game great <laughs> like I, I just love his approach and, and like you he's chosen to control his own destiny like oh he's yeah like i'm yeah. gonna do do this all right so NBA team, 2K yeah, is number three two. see, fun, see fun people stuff. from different ba- different backgrounds can get along right <laughs> yeah <laughs> different belief systems <laughs> that's yeah that's another one um, it's funny the last, two would... la- last thing i'll say about that is that um i remember the first time i suggested to a lakers fan that there's a nuggets lakers rivalry and the lakers fans like um maybe y'all have a rivalry <laughs> i don't think we do it's <laughs> like oh yo i feel like we have a rivalry with everybody that's you know it's just been it's like that type of history where it's like showtime <laughs> yeah yeah we just you know but but yeah no i i and the games here at least you know before the pandemic lakers yeah. nuggets were just so much fun i, I love it and um, I, I love the nba too all right number two yeah number two is gonna be halo i'll throw that in oh my man xbox good... fans halo yeah shout out just, xbox yeah fans. master chief yeah yeah master chief just i, I definitely changed that game changed the game for me yeah. Um, in terms of like first person shooters, so fun. The the multiplayer is just so yeah. good, you know. Um, so yeah, Halo, game yeah. Game changer. All right, now we gotta get a drum roll in. Oh, before the drum roll, um okay. This game, I have to tell y'all what it's not gonna be first, right? It's not gonna be Mario okay. Kart. Not Mario that would be Kart. too easy. Not Mario Kart, although I love Mario Kart, definitely would make sense to be number one, but not for this purpose. Yeah. Uh, but here's the real drum roll. Go ahead. All right, here you go. <laughs> the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. You know, That's I had a feeling. Number one. I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me why this is number one for you. Um, so I'm probably 
All right, this is gonna. I'm gonna phrase this for folks who aren't really aware of what Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild is. But <laughs> we're gonna translate this for the non-Zelda. Translate a little bit. But <laughs> so, this is one of the um, first games, uh, at least, uh, yeah, for me, for me, um, that um, that the point of the game wasn't for you to like go from point A to point B and then you were you finished the game, right? right. That wasn't the experience. The experience of the game. Like the boss battle, the bit was actually the entire like land that you were experiencing the game on, yeah. right? So it was like one of these like massive open world games where you just drop into yeah. this massive map um, that has like tons of different terrain, beautiful yeah. mountains. Um, well, and, and the storylines are just epic. Like it's just and, and, yeah, these, yeah, it's amazing. And wherever you go, any little town you went, there was like something different happening, and you got to choose whether you wanted to engage in that. And so um, it was just one that I remember thinking, like, man, I don't really like this open world games because I feel like I get lost. It's too overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to do. I felt but that all way about sudden, Gauntlet <laughs> when Gauntlet came out. Yeah, I, feel, I felt that way about Gauntlet. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I was like, oh, should I even, you know, but as soon as all of a sudden I found myself like playing for like close to two hours and I was like, holy crap, like I don't even want to stop. <laughs> like this is so interesting. And so, and it's just a beautiful game. It's like, it's, yeah. people describe it as like being one of those Zen games. Like you mm-hmm. can literally just stare at the screen and you have this beautiful like scenic mountain range. And, yeah. And you can just, there's just so much to do. And um, and it's just the crazy part is just a one one player game, right? Like one single player. Yeah. Like you don't need friends. You, it's not online, and that's fine. Yep. So it, top it, five. There you top have top five. It. This this is a this is an amazing top five. Now I I would have had like some basic games up there. Like I always like Altered Beast. Like Altered Beast was was great. Back I never played that one actually. So yeah, no. it's like you have to go and save this wizard's daughter, but you've been you, you've been brought back from the dead. And he's given you these powers to like turn into like animals. So you turn on, turn, you can turn into this grizzly bear that turns flips. You can be a wolf. Like it's pretty cool. Um, And then uh, I I like the fighter games. Like, so Tekken was always my favorite. Oh, dude, that's an honorary mention. Thank you. Because when you talk about like the complex storylines and, um, and like, and you start reading about it, you, you can get yourself into a rabbit hole real quick because it's like, yeah, you know, there's like oh, a yeah. Tekken universe here. Who's your favorite Tekken character? Because yeah. uh, it's 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 not Kazuya, it's Jin. So Kazuya's son, Jin. Yeah, Jin. The show play with Jin. Yeah. Jin yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, for me, it was Eddie Gordo because I, I love yeah. I love the Capoeira, Capoeira fighting. Style. Yeah, oh, <laughs> so cool. Well, listen. It was a fun game. Um, yeah. Luis, it's been so much fun talking to you, man. Uh, how do people Likewise. how do people find you, find your work? How do they follow you? How do they support Juntos to College? Yeah, absolutely. So you can check us out on uh, almost all the social medias. We're on Facebook at Juntos to College, LinkedIn, Juntos to College, on Instagram, where Juntos means together, just oh, like that. Juntos, Juntos means, means together. together. Yeah. Yes, sir. And then um, uh, you can find us on our website, juntos2college.com. Two is the, the number. Yep. Um, and you could email us as well. Um, all, all that information is on our uh, handles. Yep. Um, and, and if you're moved by this work, we have you can contribute. Um, you can share. Um, and it would definitely love for folks to share. Educational leaders, if, you, if you're interested about bringing 
um, kind of systems to support your undocumented students. So just talking about them, um, you know, more than happy to, to start those conversations. Uh, we're, we're young, um, but we're, we're, we have, we're, we're so hungry. And so we're, we're, we're really going to grow here in this next, uh, next couple of months and absolutely kind of expand in 2022. So yeah. let's go, everybody. Let's make it happen. And, and uh, Luis, just this work that you're doing is so needed and so meaningful and so powerful, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm just so excited for, for you, for Juntos to College, and um, definitely I'll support this work. Uh, there, there isn't really anything else out here like, like this. And when we, when we talk about how do we do right by our undocumented students, this is one of the ways that we can. We don't have all the resources in schools. We know we don't have all the resources in schools. We have people out here doing great work um, that, that we need to support. So um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, man. We gotta we gotta do this again. Gotta check back in in a couple yeah. months. See what 22 points looking like for you. Yes, sir. Um, but yeah, man. Thanks for being habitually disruptive, and thanks for being on the show with me today. An honor, an honor. Thank you, Gerardo. Take care. Thank you.